What's happening, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Behind the Visual, where I interview all those people responsible for creating the images and videos you see out in your world every single day. I am, of course, still your host, advertising and lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen. And today, my guest is John Lair. And John is the original Geico caveman. He is an actor, a comedian, a writer, a producer. He is a funny guy, a great guy. You may have seen him, obviously, as the Geico caveman. If you've seen the show Jailbait, he did a great job, funny show in that. If you haven't seen Quick Draw on Hulu, got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. You need to go check that out. Very cool. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, we talk about how he got into this whole world of entertainment. We talk about where he went to school. We talk about him um, getting sober. As part of it, we talk about a uh, independent movie that he's just been in that hasn't come out yet. That'll be come out in the year called Coronavirus Conspiracy. We talk about what's like the pitch a movie or a TV show. We, he tells us a little story about an exec who had something really major happen during a pitch and she didn't stop it. And you really need to listen to that because you're not going to believe she didn't stop the pitch and tell him to come back another time. Um, we also talk about how he met Aerosmith backstage at MTV Awards and how that all went down, which is a very interesting and kind of cool story. Um, but yeah, all kinds of cool, cool things going on with John. So you guys check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy this one and let me know what you think. Like it, subscribe, comment, thumbs up it, all that kind of stuff. And I uh, look forward to hearing what you think about it. Hey, what's that picture you got over there? The black and white frame. Uh, this one over here? Yeah. No. Yeah, uh, one, yeah, it's out of frame now. There, that one. That one? That is my old friend. That's a cool <laughs> shot. That's my friend, John McRae, who does not play the guitar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and my other friend from high school made a, had to do, is a graphic artist, so he had to do a album cover for an okay. assignment for college so he took some fake pictures of my friend and i just he was at he's one of the funniest people i know he was the um history uh, historical consultant on quick draw the uh, the hulu show i did oh yeah because uh, he's got his phd in um in uh um archaeology Oh, wow. So uh, he knows uh, in, in Southeast, Southwestern studies, uh, Native American stud. So he's, uh, so he was like my go-to for 1800s history. So a lot of the, a lot of the stuff in quick draw that was actually based on, you know, real stuff that happened came from, most of it came from him. Oh, I found something to do with that degree. So I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. We were, well, he teaches and um, he works okay. for the VA now, weirdly. But um, yeah, he's a really bright guy and funny as shit and understands comedy. Yeah, man. Yeah. Comedian. I used to um, work at a comedy uh, store place here in Charlotte when I was in college. And we had tons of comedians coming through from like total national, like Carrot Top started there. And, right, you know, right. I had all the big national comedians come in, then all the little local comedians come in. And you guys are a little mental, man. <laughs> like, I don't think no. you become a comedian if you've had a like incredibly wonderful, you know, leave it to beaver kind of life. That's I right. Like yeah. Very, a lot of depression, a lot of, um, yeah, it's it, and it's a really stupid way to make a living if you think about it. I mean, you know, everybody's judging you and a lot of pressure to deliver and nobody's in charge of anything. It's all, you know, self-motivated, you know, and Dude, there's know drugs and alcohol abuse and, and mental health issues. It's a terrible, and you're on the road. I mean, I, I, I avoided a lot. I do a lot of um, live stuff, but I just come in and do it and then leave. I don't go on a, I I've done like mini tours where they'll book me for like five, four or five shows in a row, but 
no not like comedy clubs not like that stuff i do like charities and, okay. and theaters and stuff like that where it's the comedy clubs are brutal i do i occasionally go up on a club in a club out here in burbank um just to you know try stuff and you know try to stay sane yeah i was I'm gonna say how do you do because i was listening to like joe rogan forever ago and he had somebody on there were some other comedian on they were talking about how they go to um like the, they'll just show up at a club at like 11 o'clock at night and go on yeah. and spout new material and they just try it over right. and over until they hone it and get it, the laughs they're looking for i guess right something yeah. similar to that when you do it similar i mean i'm i do a, most of my stuff is is um improvised so i okay. improvise a lot so i'm not the type that hones it down to a like a seinfeldian kind of thing i'm right. more of a I, you know, he would shoot a sniper, I shoot a shotgun, you okay. know, <laughs> <clears throat> you know. <laughs> do you, so, so yeah, yours, okay, so full disclosure on this thing, my wife sent me your info, because whoever it was that I emailed had sent her, she worked, she runs a um, outpatient rehab center for drug and alcohol oh, abuse. Wow. Yeah, so she's yeah. her marketing person gave sent it to her and she's like you might be interested in sent it to me and i read about you a little bit i was like this dude sounds like it'd be very cool to talk to so that's how i got in touch with you so yeah okay yeah that makes sense because a lot of the live stuff i do is recovery uh in the recovery world lately that's where right. it's been lately um yeah i was yeah i was asked to do a chair I'm, I'm i'm so i've been sober for 25 years and I'm, I'm really involved and I'm on the board of of a, of a not-for-profit and stuff. And I so I, I've lived in that world. I've always supported it. And, I, and my comedy is always, I always talk about it. And, yeah. and um, I was asked to do a charity event in Atlanta for um, the Karen organization, which is yeah. a not-for-profit recovery group. Yeah, And it was a blast because I got to do comedy, but I, I got to fold in more... Um, you know, just more purposeful stuff too, right. you know, right. help, you know, and, uh, and there's nothing better than performing to sober people, you know, ex addicts and alcoholics. Cause they're just like dark as fuck, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, they're great. They're just great. So anyway, yeah. So I've been doing some of that. So, you know, they'll bring me in and, and to, I've done MC stuff. So that's gotten more and more and more, um, I love it. I really love it. So I'll do like an hour, you know, right. or, um, or do an entire evening where I'll MC and drop like five or 10 minutes in between stuff. So that's great. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm going to Austin and, uh, Chicago, uh, Tampa, Tampa just postponed, oh, uh, yeah. because Florida is a shit <laughs> shit. Yes. It is. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I I'm vaxxed. I'm, I'm like, yeah, blind, but, uh, but you know, the, nobody's buying tickets because oh, they're yeah. afraid of each other. Yeah. yeah. I don't blame them in Florida. I would yeah, be too. I, my wife was pleased. I wasn't going, but, uh, yeah, Chicago. And then I'm going back to Atlanta and a, a few others. Yeah. That's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Cause it's, it's, I get to perform, I get paid. I don't have to go to a comedy club um and i and 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 it's it's yeah you know it's like comedy but it's got like uh you know a mess you know there's a definite yeah message well, know, i think so it's a I cool way it. to deliver it because like they had a guy come in for some event they have like every year and he came in and gave the so i guess he comes in usually what happens is the speaker will come in like the night before and do a thing in a school or something. And then they have a, a launching or a breakfast in the, the next day, like a fundraiser and they'll come yes. and kind of do a smaller version of it. But it's all, you know, it's everybody just talking the whole time and telling their story. And it's, you know, it's like, whatever, you know, I was shooting up, I woke up, I was like, damn, I need to hit again. I was like, where's my rig? And I looked down, it's in my arm. I'm like, Oh, well shit. Yeah. You know? And yeah, but I would think delivering as a comedian and having a little comedy edge to it would make it more interesting. Although yeah, I'm sure it, anybody it, who's not, um, who hadn't heard a lot of it's just going, holy hell. Right. Yeah. It's a little, 
It, yeah, because a lot of the sobriety speakers are really heavy. You know, yeah. it's really heavy. And it's, you know, with the opiate thing, it's like, you know, people are dying. I mean, there's a lot of heavy. So to have somebody come in who's light, but still acknowledging the heaviness, it, it helps. It helps a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would think. Sure. You and Danny Trejo ever hang out any? <laughs> What's that? I said, you and Danny Trejo ever hang out? I'll listen to his book. You no, know, I've never met him. I tried to hire him uh, for a quick draw when I was producing and, and, and writing quick draw. I wrote a part, but we couldn't get him. I can't remember why, but I tried to get him. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his donuts. I love his donuts. You haven't They're had amazing. any of his donuts or tacos, but I'm listening to his pod, to his um, to his book right now, and it's all about basically him in recovery. Like, yeah, well, the first he's, couple of chapters are, but now it's all it's gotten into the recovery part and all that. Yeah, he's, interesting. He's an amazing guy. Amazing guy. Good actor. You know, yeah. great character actor. Uh, I haven't had his tacos, but I've had his donuts and they're right. good. I'm going to have his donuts when I'm out there next month. Yeah, stop and get yeah a donut. you definitely should. It's right down on La Brea, you know, it's like right in, in West Hollywood. It's great. I don't know how well you know L.A. But yeah, yeah, no, pretty, pretty well. My brother lived out there for a little while too, as well. Oh, really? Yeah, he was he's an architect and they moved him out from Charlotte to L.A. to work on Lucky brands um there he's he's um commercial real estate so he was there okay. with lucky working on all their buildings and their stores and all that kind of stuff Ooh, but awesome. he, he couldn't take it he was in la for two years just under two years but he was living in an apartment and being an architect literally every day every weekend when he's in charlotte he is destroying something or building something at his house so he's like, I can't do anything. I can't knock a wall out in my apartment. So I'm just bored on weekends. So yeah. he probably has to go yeah, back. LA, LA is a tough city to interface with. It you you it takes about two years, in my opinion, and you you really have to embrace the nature. If you don't go to the beach and the desert and the mountains yeah. on a regular basis, then LA will just eat you up. But if that. you do those things, then you realize, oh, I get it. Okay, now I get the city. Yeah, yeah. it's all crappy uh, strip malls, but <laughs> you got the you can go the you know surfing and skiing on the same day. You know? Everybody and, I know and, who and, lives out there who loves it. That's all they do. They go to the beach or to the desert or to up into the mountains or something like that. So those, yeah, yeah. you got to do that because then then you embrace the urban side of it and then it's really cool you know where did you grow up kansas oh i'm from okay. kansas i'm from uh overland park which is outside of um of of uh kansas city uh right. it's a suburb my family my extended family's all from a little town outside of wichita called el dorado uh not el dorado right el <laughs> well, that's right i was in miami oklahoma <laughs> And when I saw it on my sheet from my client, I thought, well, hell yeah, we're going to shoot in Miami. And then I looked a little harder and I was like, where's Miami, Oklahoma? And you get there, it's Miami. I'm like, Miami. Like, it's spelled Miami, but okay. Nope. <laughs> Not even close uh, to being the same place. Where is Miami? Is it near Oklahoma City? Like what part of the state is it in? I have no idea. I, I was with yeah. the client and I, I just flew in. I don't even know where I flew into because we flew in. We had it was like two different states and we flew into one and then drove to the other and shot some in one then went and shot drove like two hours and then shot in the other. And I don't remember which one we went to first or I, it was a blur. <laughs> yeah. All over the place. Can relate. How did you yeah, get just... so if you grew up in Kansas City ish, how did you end up? Like, did you, how'd you end up in LA? Okay. So I ended up, I got, I went to college at Northwestern, which is outside of Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, and I majored, I majored, I went there to be a teacher and I got a, a teaching certificate, but I also, but my, my mom, I'd always done, you know, I'd always been into theater and stuff, but you know, growing up in Kansas, you don't really right. think of that career and uh so my mom convinced me why don't you audition for the theater department and this was on the drive up and I was like okay and I memorized a, a Shakespearean monologue and uh did it and got into the theater department oh wow so um 
so I double majored and, uh, but what really did it was um, there was an improv show, a student produced improv show that was kind of infamous at Northwestern. And I did, I auditioned for that and that changed every, you know, when I found out I could say whatever I wanted, I was just like, what? And uh, yeah, that changed everything for me. That just was like it. I was just like, this is amazing. And, and then I stayed in Chicago uh, for about four years doing uh, improv, a lot of bar gigs and stuff, and then um, kind of formed a a company that wanted to be more, this was a long time ago when improv was just sort of games and stuff. Right. Um, uh, uh, I've joined a company that wanted to do more, you know, uh, scenes and uh, ended up doing this super fast two-man improv show at the organic theater and kind of famous theater in Chicago and uh, you know, David Mamet's theater and uh, this talent scout came to the show from LA from Fox, this gorgeous ex model Eve's early. And she goes, um, Hey, do you guys want to come and do come? Uh, we'll fly you to LA and you can do it for my bosses, do a showcase for my bosses. And do you guys want to do that? And we were like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We totally broke. And cause you don't make any money doing improv in Chicago or theater in Chicago. And so we did it. And every executive in LA showed up to that. And we ended up signing with a huge agency, ICM and a huge manager. Yeah. And we, a holding deal with NBC and a holding deal, they don't really do them anymore, but a holding deal at that time was, hey, we'll give you money if you don't do anything with any of our competitors until we figure out what to do with you. That's cool. It was like That's free money. That's very cool. So we were like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, But I was already, the drug and alcohol abuse was kind of peaking at this point. Oh, yeah. So I just blew it all, you know. <laughs> up my nose uh and uh but still i was able to kind of function during that and i kind of realized i could write you know and uh and and i did some shows i did friends and i did uh you know scattered uh you know uh character roles on tv and did some movies and uh and then i got sober and uh and did a show called Jesse, yeah. not not the one on Nickelodeon, but uh, on oh, NBC. With, um, yeah. What the hell is this? Yeah, what's his name? Uh, uh, on 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 uh, Jesse. On Jesse, yeah. Just George Zunza was on it. Um, David Deloise, me, okay. Christina Applegate was the star, and um, oh, who was her love interest? I'm blanking. Anyway, and, yeah, I remember and, that show. Yeah. Yeah, it was decent. I mean, it was okay. It was, she was great. Um, the, you know, the rest of us were, <laughs> did our best, but uh, it, it gave me health insurance and yeah. it off all my bills, got me out of debt. And, um, and I had just gotten sober because I had just, I, I'd been arrested just previous to that in, uh, on possession in, uh, in Ventura County. Oops. And, uh, and so that, kind of came together at the same time and sort of changed my life you know did you go to rehab uh, to get sober or did you do that on your own no i just did it i i did it on my own i yeah. don't you know i don't know how i don't know why it worked i i was scared i was looking at some some serious jail time this wasn't my first uh right <laughs> and uh i i was you know i was caught with a lot of a lot of drugs you know and uh so I was looking at jail time and my, my, it was my agent, not my agent, my lawyer, my entertainment lawyer. He recommended that I get into AA because he's like, look, John, you got to sober up before you face the judge or you're going to jail for a while. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he helped me get my defense attorney and everything. And the defense attorney said the same thing. So I went to AA and uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything. Right. I just went because I was scared I was going to go to jail. But somehow 
uh, it stuck, you know, and 25 years later, I'm, you know, haven't had a drink. Uh, That's impressive. I know it was, I listen, I, I can't take credit for it. I really can't. I mean, you know, cause I know people who, you know, did the same as me and didn't stay sober. And I, you know, why does it work for some people and doesn't work for us? I know how to, once I got sober, I now know how to, what to tell somebody to, that will help it stick. You know, you can do this and this and this, and this will help. Right. But, uh, why I quit at that moment I mean you know why it worked I don't I don't know I had plenty of sufficiently strong reasons to quit prior to that belief <laughs> and uh but it did and I mean spending the night in jail I was on LSD when I was arrested so spending the night oh, in jail on LSD was a bit of a wow a rough night but <laughs> still i i I don't know why it worked but it did and so now i'm very involved in recovery and and once i got sober things started to you know take off and i was able to kind of start the writing really became a thing i sold a script uh to nbc uh that david schwimmer's company uh from friends bought and uh and i sold a pilot that i starred in that was improv based i kept wanting to use improv and uh, I sold a pilot to Fox that didn't go, but I started to figure it out a little bit. And then I met Nancy Hauer, uh, who is a director, and she and I uh, worked on a film called Memron, this little independent film. It's still out there. I think it's on Netflix. It's on my website. Um, and what's it called? Memron, which made fun of the Enron. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, this is a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, it, it won the Slamdance Film Festival. We shot it for like five grand, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it won the Slamdance Film Festival. And that kind of gave us enough juice to pitch uh, what later became 10 items or less. Um, we pitched it yeah. to Sony and then we sold that to TBS and that ran for three seasons. And I show ran that and wrote it and starred in it with Nancy and she directed and wrote um and uh and that kind of i was like this is amazing so we ended up doing after it got canceled we did multiple pilots that didn't go for comedy central and nbc and other places and then uh we did a show called jailbait uh for sony because they had this crackle do you know what crackle is it's like their it's sony's online presence oh no uh we did it for them. And then um, in, in the meantime, 10 items or less had like this cult following. It still does. And it, they were running reruns on Hulu and Hulu called and said, Hey, your shows, your show, your old show is doing great on Hulu. Do you have, we want, do you want to do something new with us? And we came in and pitched them this comedy Western called quick draw. And um, yeah, it was great. It was hey, great. And so, I've done, I keep, I keep same thing, keep writing and I'm, I'm pitching a couple of shows right now and I do some acting. I just did a movie and live performance stuff like we talked about. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. I want to know why there's so many producers on a film or a TV show. <laughs> Cause you will well, see like 15 producers listed. All I'm thinking it was why money and, and, and ego, do you they know, do they'll anything? say, oh, not most of them don't most of them did something that helped get it so like you know a guy will say hey i can bring in the financing i know the rich people i'll introduce you guys you can pitch the movie to them but i want an ep credit and a piece of the action if it goes or uh you need to attach an actor to a project and you'll say hey We'll, we'll pay your rate. You'll be the star of the thing. And we'll give you an EP credit if you, if you attach yourself to it. So stuff like that. And, okay. and then there's, you know, then there's managers who represent talent who say, Hey, uh, we won't, I won't charge you a commission, John, on this. If you make me an EP on the, on the show and be like, okay, right. that's called package, you know, packaging deals. I don't know if you've ever heard about yeah. packaging. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that. And then there are always one or two who actually, you know, (laughs) (laughs) produce it. 
you'll see on on quick draw um nancy and i were the showrunners uh but there are two other people charlotte and brendan who get executive producer credits on that and that's because they were the hulu executives who championed the show so they wanted an ep because they helped develop the show so they wanted an ep credit on which we were fine with yeah um and yeah, it's uh, it's an <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, because there's some of yeah. them I watch, like especially movies, you'll see producer, producer, executive producer, yes. and then you just go, how does anybody make any money if you got to pay all these producers plus a crew list that runs for ten minutes after the show, after the movie yeah. ends? Well, usually the executive producers who don't do anything, there's a pool of money for that, and then it, they have to split it all oh, up. Okay. And then the, the executive producers who actually run the show i'm talking television yeah but actually do the work they get a rate that these guys don't get any piece of right so they get okay. more all right usually does it work something similar in movies or is there like a percentage just the ep does something they get a percentage of the bank from the movie each movie is its own startup okay. so each movie is done differently but generally speaking, yeah, it's the same thing. The people who actually executive produce the movie make the most money. And those that are just getting these um, credits to make them feel good and right. to you know, name out there, they, they make less. You know, okay. Generally. Never, I see that if I, was, if I was listed as an EP on a movie, if I didn't, if I didn't do Harley shit, I'd be like, look, there's me. That's my name. Yep. How's it going up? Yep. I'm a producer. <laughs> And it means something. So usually it means people have given money on a movie. Okay. You know, if it's an independent movie and it's got a lot of EPs, that means they gave money, which, hey, man, I'll give you a credit every day. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And a percentage of in, which you'll never see. Because <laughs> movies, uh, yeah. You know. But hey, if yeah. all you got to do is give them a credit for, the, for them to give you the cash, why not? Exactly. Yeah. exactly did you okay so when the whole when did you become the geico caveman oh how did that happen I, you know i was uh boy that was in the 90s uh started i i want to say like 96 maybe 97 in there i i don't know i can't remember exactly but i uh went to an audition a commercial audition. So I have a commercial agent who has me, I don't do as much of this anymore, but commercial auditions, they'll, they're not like regular auditions. You usually get, you don't even know what you're auditioning for most of the time. You show really? up at these places. They're these, usually it's a big lobby with doors all around the perimeter. And each door is an audition for a different uh, commercial. Well, so it's like a catapult kind of thing. So you go up and there's a, a big board that tells you all the commercials in door one, there's this door two, there's, and you find the one that you've been, uh, that your agent uh, got you in for. And then you go and you sign up. And then usually that's when you see the script for the first time. Really? Maybe you get it the night before, but uh, you go in and you, you know, do your best and you, you just do a bunch of them and hope to get one or two a year. And, uh, so I went in, it was Geico and it said caveman. I was like, caveman. All right. And then they said, when I came in, they said, John, you can improvise. And I was like, what? Oh. You know, <laughs> and uh, so I improvised as this metrosexual, you know, caveman and uh, got the gig, you know, and then it, it, I ended up shooting 25 national spots, which is ridiculous. Wow. And and then all of these other ancillary things, you know, appearances. I went to the Oscars, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. It, cool. it, and it keeps going. I just did, um, fuck, it's a Fox show um, called I Can See Your Voice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I heard, I saw the promo for it. So the caveman will be appearing on an episode of I Can See Your Voice. Oh, so, very cool. All right. So it's, I love it. I love doing it because I most of the time I get to improvise, which I love. And the, you know, the makeup's kind of a drag. It takes like three oh, so hours. How long does that take? Three, did you say three hours? Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's annoying. Like it turns out humans don't like to have stuff glued to their face, you know. <laughs> Surprise. Like it, you know. 
and it, it gets a little, you know, cause it's usually like a 14 hour day. That's like a normal shoot day. Yeah. So after around eight hours, you're like, okay, I'm ready to have this taken off. So it, it, it's, it's a bit of a, you got to kind of Zen out and, and uh you know deal with it but um you know it's better than a real job well well yeah i heard they had to was ron howard had to put jim carrey do you hear that story yes there's a lot of stories like that people who just freak out and can't handle the prosthetics because it is it is supposedly i'm really good at it. like the makeup guys are like john you really you can handle it really well because people freak out a lot it's it, it can feel claustrophobic weirdly yeah. and it and it's glue there's a lot of glue and the hair and it's just it, it, I, I can't really it's just kind of like a water torture you know kind of thing it just starts to get at you and you just want it off and um yeah, Jim Carrey totally freaked out, couldn't do it. Yeah, I heard they uh, had to have the, basically the guy come in from the was the CIA or FBI and walk him through like what you got to do when you're being tortured to get on right. to make it through the whole movie. Right, because it's a little like that. It's just uncomfortable. And over time, you're just like, ah, you know, and if you're not, if you can't keep your cool, you just want to rip it off. You know, you just want yeah. it off. I guess he... Yeah, David Chiklis, I think, also for uh, oh, the fan Fantastic Four. There's lots of stories of people who oh, kind really? of just can't do it. Some people can't do it at all. Like, like uh, they have to do a thing where they pour goo all over your head. Yeah, and breathe that. Make the cast. And there are tons of people who just, they, they can't do it. I could see that, especially if you're even slightly claustrophobic and you have to breathe out of like two straws in your nose. And it gets, it's like drying on you. It's warm and it, and then they have to do the weirder thing is when they do it for the teeth, they have to pour this goo into your mouth and it like drips down your throat. And it's, that was the weirder one for me. The, the straw one, I was just, I don't know. I, I didn't have a problem with that, but I kind of went to sleep, you know, but uh, Damn, man. yeah, the stuff down the mouth, that stuff was, that was hard. I that feel like you're choking on it. Yeah. It's yeah. It's just like, you just want it out. You know, it's yeah, not right. Not I don't even like when they do the, the mold for the winter at the dentist and they just slap that thing in there to do the mold for your teeth. Yes. I don't like that. Right. So yeah, it's a little like being at the dentist all day. That's a little what it's like, you know, when you're at the dentist and you're just like, okay, enough. Just, I want to go home. It's like that, but yeah. maybe times and it's all day long sometimes for days in a row so that gives us you know, a sense of it's a yeah, trip yeah. it's a, a mind game for sure but it's worth it you're getting paid incredible money i mean oh yeah it's better than sitting in front of a desk at, you know on a, at a desk with a suit and tie on in front of a computer looking at numbers all day long yeah well i've had tons of jobs that were a hell of a lot harder oh, than that yeah. in restaurants if you ever worked in a rest i was a cook in a restaurant in chicago for years that's real work you know i Those never did work. that my brother was a cook at a restaurant for a little while i always was like i don't know i worked at camera shops and drug stores that was pretty much and then i worked at some job where i had to deliver building supplies on on the lot to where they were building a whole new housing community and that job was just boring oh, great yeah that's great that's it was cool gig. i mean it was a summer job it was but it was so boring that about three quarters of the way through it, i was like i can't do this anymore because i would literally work i'd be there for eight hours i'd probably work for about three of it another five i'm trying to figure out oh, how to yeah. look busy and yes so i don't get fired because there was nothing for me to do so i would try and look busy and my girlfriend's mom owned a video store and she was like you can come work for us i was like i'm out i'm gonna go do that i'm just gonna sit on my ass and watch videos all day at least i'll do that instead of those are car yeah 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 that's true restaurants you don't have any downtime so it goes pretty fast yeah my wife was a waitress my brother was a cook and he was talking about they would get really busy and somebody had ordered something and had like a bagel with it or whatever and the bagel hit the ground some dude kicked it across the floor picked it up wiped it off slapped it up on the plate and sent it out oh yeah like that. that's enough i've seen a lot worse than that let's put it this way don't send your food back don't yell at your waitress because if she comes back to the kitchen crying the cooks don't like that oh. and i my, my 
my wife, my wife's grandfather was always a total dick to waiters and cooks and stuff at restaurants. And I was like, you know, your grandfather is going to eat more spit than anybody. <laughs> I know. Why would you upset the people who are preparing your meal? Why? Why would you do that? Yeah, I don't now where I'm I'm aware that my dad owned some restaurants for when I was younger. So I'm very aware. So if I do send something back, I'm like, hey, this is like undercooked. We just send it back. I'm, I'm as nice as I can possibly be because I don't right. want her to go back and go, hey, this asshole has said that, you know, you whatever. And then the cook could go, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, you yeah. know. Yeah, because I've heard stories, but yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. I've seen stuff that I, that's just, yeah, I never, I'm always the nicest guy. Never, never, ever. Do I ever complain? And I always tip well, because they will remember. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, my wife, like I said, my wife was, she she waited tables for a while and she would have guys who were just assholes, you know, and she's yeah. kind of, I think she's still hot, but she's definitely hot then. And they were, you know, like, <laughs> hey, come over, sit over here, take her, you know, yeah. and like, oh, I have yeah. to put up with this shit. Oh, yeah. That's horrible. So what was your first job? So were you, once you got, you did Chicago, you came and you did your, your thing and they put you under um, the whole don't work for anybody else deal. <laughs> what was the first thing you did that you actually were on the air for and got paid for? Well, I did a show in Chicago. What was the name of that show? It was a drama. It was the... Um, God, who was the woman that was married to Mike Tyson? Oh, yeah. He, um, damn, I'm totally blanking on her name. Robin, Robin Givens. Yes, thank she, you. She was on. So I, that was the first thing I did. And then I worked on um, Major League. Remember the movie yes. Major League? Yeah. I worked on, on that movie. And then, <clears throat> but my first show in LA, I think, was Lois and Clark which yeah. was Superman and, you know, which was hilarious. I played a, um, a yoga instructor <laughs> and I think I only had one scene, maybe two. And uh, one of them was, I was doing like this, I was leading a yoga class and Superman comes in and turns off my, my boom box. And then we have a scene and then they leave. And, and that's the end of the scene. I can't remember what happens. And, the Superman, the guy playing Superman said, hey, when I leave, you press the button again to turn the boombox back on. And the director hadn't told me that. And so right. I'm looking for the director to go, OK, let me ask. And, and Superman goes, no, don't ask the director. Just do it. <laughs> and I was like, OK, Superman, I'm going to do it. So well, that's yeah. cool, because that's what I was thinking when you were telling the story. You said he came in and shut it off and you said he left. I was waiting for you. To go, and then I just hit the button and turned it back on. And Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, he was right. He was right. But I was just afraid to do it because I was afraid, you know, I'd get in trouble if the director didn't tell me. And yeah. then I did. Then I wrote and starred on a show for E! Network, the Kardashian Network. This is before yes. the Kardashian. Um, that was called News Weasels. I and, remember that uh, show. Oh, my God. And we we made fun of the news. Yeah. And it was fun, but it was like, uh, it, it was terrible. I mean, it, <laughs> we didn't, he, it, we were supposed to be making fun of the, um, uh, of the, of the, of the news and, and he bought the rights to the news, but uh, they screwed up. So the news feed, they owned the rights to the news feed, but somehow they screwed up and we couldn't use any of it. So this was during the OJ thing, really? the OJ trial. Yeah. Instead of talking about that, the only footage we had access to was this public domain footage that they got for cheap from uh, Australia. <laughs> so we're talking about like beer drinking cost contests in Australia while everybody's talking about it. So, it was it was tough. It was wow. tough going. <laughs> How do they have the rights to it, but then they can't use it? I they have they bought the rights to the network feed, 
but they didn't realize that in order to use the pieces, they had to have the sign off from the local affiliates oh. and, that, and the affiliates wanted more money and yeah. they didn't have, I, that, I don't know. That's what I heard. Anyway, it was a big screw up. Somebody got fired. For it. <laughs> I bet but, somebody got fired. Yeah, it, was, it was tough. It was tough. Oh, damn. Hey, so you did. That, yeah. That ran for, a, I want to say two seasons. I think it went two seasons, maybe just one. And it got canceled, but I learned a ton because I was on camera the whole time. So I learned a ton about hitting marks and, you know, the, the technical side of, right. of acting for camera. Do you like acting? Yeah, I do. I really do. I, it's fun. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's always fun. I, I prefer to do like the improv style that I do. That is exciting as hell for me because right. then I, that's my passion but but straight acting's fun too i just did a a feature that's just coming out they're just about to uh it's a it's a independent movie but um it's about the coronavirus but it's a comedy and it's just two people it's just me and another guy the entire feature oh, wow. so that really challenging and, and fun that was fun that's yeah. cool yeah, yeah it was cool it's coming out soon um and uh Lions what's that called just, uh coronavirus conspiracy okay and i play a guy who was sent out by his wife to go get toilet paper yeah this is during the early days of the coronavirus yeah. when we none of us had toilet paper and i went out to go get toilet paper and i just suddenly wake up out of a blackout and i'm chained to the wall in my own bedroom and uh, it gets weirder from that. It's <laughs> trippy, trippy movie, but it's okay. funny. funny. Cool. I'll have to try to look it up in a little yeah. while and see if maybe I can find it, it someplace. It will be released probably, I would say, in the winter, I think, maybe the okay. fall. Yeah. Streamer stuff. Yeah. That's the rough part. It's like seeing these trailers now for something that's not being released till end of the year or something. It's like, like they just released the Matrix trailer and it looks very cool. You're like, well, shit, oh, you gotta wait till like really? December. Yeah. Woo! I can't wait for that. Did you That's see the trailer? Awesome. No, I'm going to go Google it after this. Yeah, the trailer is a trip, man. Yeah, it's awesome. The awesome. thing is, I forgot there were multiple. I only saw the first one. So I forgot that oh, there were multiple shit. Matrix movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're all great. I love, I ate it up. That's like right up my alley, man. I love that sci fi crazy action stuff i love keanu yeah that's too. a bring it bring it yeah i'm gonna have to go watch them because i completely forgot about the other ones i'm like well shit i gotta go oh, watch those great. and then i'll watch this newest one for sure oh, yeah. yeah so you worked with heidi klum tell me about that i did i uh it was a show for cbs a special and the two of us uh hosted it i you know me as the former guy it was about commercials it was one of those shows where they do the best commercials. Right, so, yeah. so they had me as uh, having played the guy. I didn't have the makeup on, but um, they had me and Heidi and we shot it all in Vegas. And man, was that a pleasure uh, right. being next supermodel for three days or whatever it took to shoot it. Yeah, uh, yeah. she's super sweet, gorgeous. And the gig was really easy and it was fun. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. That's good to hear. Yep. Turns out really gorgeous people on TV and film are really gorgeous in person too. For the most part. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes weird looking, like sometimes they have these, you know, sometimes they're, you know, they, they photograph really incredibly, but in person they're kind of like, I don't know, like their heads are big or, and their features are just, but not Heidi. She's just gorgeous in general well that's good yeah i mean you're totally i mean i've seen people that in person i look at them and go i don't know and then i shoot them and go wow that's yeah. i cannot believe that I, is this and then there are I other know. times where i'll see them in person and think they're absolutely gorgeous and i take their picture and I'm like how the hell does that yeah not translate what is that I, it's so interesting but yeah it, it's weird when the camera loves you but she's got it both ways in person and on film well, she's good. just gorgeous yeah, yeah i saw her kid on something recently her kid's yeah. pretty too her, her daughter yeah her daughter she's yeah. a yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I've never met her, but yeah, Heidi was amazing. She bought us all sushi dinner after and That's dropped cool. a fortune on us. And yeah, super cool, super cool. Very nice. All right, so if you had to choose between uh, improv comedy gigs, the acting, producing, writing, what's your favorite? Ooh. Um, because you do about I, everything. Do you direct or do you leave that to Howard? No, I, I, I directed a short film early in my career. And, you know, I want to perform. And so I'm not, I'm, but I'm not dumb enough to think I can direct myself. You know, right. I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, I haven't done it. I've been asked to direct a few times because people think I would do a good job. I just, I haven't done it. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, there's a but, lot more uh, to it than I thought because I did like a short little film for me and I directed it and I was like it didn't come out that great and I'm trying to go back and re-edit it so maybe it's a little better but then I got that um one of those master class things with um shit, Ron Howard yeah directing yeah uh, I was just like yeah I'm an idiot I know absolutely that was just way out of my league i know absolutely nothing about directing because he was just sitting there going with well, this and this and i was just going wow there's a <laughs> lot more to it than i thought yeah yeah but the only way to learn is to do and 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 to take classes but you got to do it too so uh yeah it's so there's so much technical to it you know that is just like wow i mean for somebody like you it'd probably be that part's fun but for me it's kind of my eyes glaze over a little bit right. you know i'm more um but yeah, so I, I don't know if I had to choose, I would choose to do what I did for quick draw and, 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 and 10 items and, and some of the other, that stuff where I, I produce and write and star, you know, that, that to me is like, it's really hard. You do all three, man. I said, you got to pick one. <laughs> if I had to pick one, it would be to, to just improv act yeah. probably. Yeah. That would be because that's easy for me. It's and fun. You know, I just do it. But writing is is, you know, hard work and producing is really hard work. What's it like uh, when you see something like that on screen for the first time that you wrote it, you produced it, you were in it, you started in it? What's that feeling like when it gets up and it's actually not just in a screening room and you're seeing it on national television where millions of people can watch it? How do you how was the first time that happened? How did you feel? weird you yeah. know uh worried mm -hmm. uh are people liking it you know because for me the fun part is making it right uh you know i don't have that thank god i don't have that i hate myself too much to enjoy it you know right. that's good <laughs> <laughs> you know i just I, I look at it and I don't, I'm thinking about story. I'm not thinking about how people are going to perceive me, really. I'm right. more thinking about how people are, are people going to enjoy it? You know, that's the, the thing. And am I going to be able to make more? Is it going to get good enough ratings so that I get to make more? So by that time, the fun is over. Then it's just, it's out of my hands and it's just worry time, you know, uh, and I don't, to be honest, I don't even really watch it once it's aired because I've seen it so many mm -hmm. times in the edit room that I'm once it's done, I'm I'm done. You know, I'm on yeah. to the next, you know, so um, and, and, and so the only time I really see it after it's done is for like um, it's usually some sort of a, a thing to promote it, you know, like a screening or, right. you know, something like that. And uh and then that's not really fun because uh, it's, you know, you're schmoozing, which is yeah. hard. I mean, it's fun, but it's, no, I you get know, you. it's not. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And also, I'm, just constantly, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder being like, do they like it? Do they like it? Do they, yeah. you know, it's, it's worry. It's, yeah. yeah, I get that. Yeah, because I think a lot of stuff, especially if I'm doing something for myself, I'd almost be totally cool with shooting it editing it and then being like all right i'm good i like these are the ones i like 
I'll throw them up and then I don't want to hear anybody's opinion on it after that because these are the ones I like. I know it's good. And then if I had to be like you yeah. and worry about, you know, what they're going to think. And I, and I do, I guess when I'm shooting for clients, I shoot it and I send it to them. I'm like, all right, are they going to like it? They're going to not like it. You know, no matter how long I've been doing it, how easy it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not, that's not the fun. The fun part is when you're shooting it, you yes. know, and you're making it. That's the fun part. Yeah. So you have, do you have a lot going on right now? Like in the pipeline, you have stuff. You're yeah, on? I do weirdly only because, you know, the pandemic is everything stopped, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and I, I use that time to um, write and create uh, because there was nothing else to do. And um, so now I have uh, four projects that I'm pitching, which is a lot. And, uh, uh, there are different types of things um, on, on one of them, you know, one, I'm a writer, a couple, I'm a producer and, and one I'm uh, uh, writing, producing and acting in. And so they're different things. Um, but yeah, it's LA is just kind of realizing that they need to buy more stuff. Yeah. To do something like that, like to write, say a pilot. How long does it take you once that idea is in your head? How long is it like on average does it take you to write a pilot? It depends, but it but mainly it takes about a year okay. for me to have an idea and then take it all the way to the point where I'm ready to pitch it to okay. network. Then it takes another year for them to buy it, me to, you know, produce it, make a pilot, and for them to pick up a show. So it's a two-year process before you really get to actually make TV shows. Right. It's yeah, a long ass time. Yeah. I've heard of movies uh, taking like 10 years or something like, oh yeah, I read the script 10 years. You know, here's somebody go, well, we read the script 10 years ago and like, holy shit. That's forever. It's because it's so much money. I mean, even my shows, which are, you know, fairly low budget, you know, a season is millions of dollars. Yeah. So you know, you got to convince, a, you know, it takes a while to convince, to get enough, get the presentation and the idea and the actors attached and the agents on board. And, you know, you shoot something maybe, and you have a presentation and you rehearse the pitch and then you go in, uh, you know, it's, you're basically trying to convince them to give you millions of dollars, you know? That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, the closest thing I know to that is what I saw in Seinfeld, where they were pitching the his show, and they go in there and they're, "What's it about?" <laughs> he goes, "Nothing. It's about nothing." Right. right. <laughs> Seinfeld looks at George like, "Shut up." <laughs> yeah, and Seinfeld, I mean, barely made it on the air. You know, they they pitched it. The the the, the regular half hour people didn't like it. They ended up doing it through a deal that he had with the specials department at NBC. Oh, so wow. it was just going to be a series of specials and they only bought four episodes at first. And then they tested the pilot. It tested terribly. Really? They scared it. The, the, the ratings at first weren't that great, but somehow NBC stuck with it. And then the second season, it started to do kind of okay. And then it hit, you know, towards the end of the second season, I think was when it first started to kind of people started to, it started to hit their radar. So yeah, that show almost it never made it many well, that's times. That's what I don't understand about a lot of these TV shows. You'll see something, it'll come on and it'll literally run like three, four episodes and then it disappears. And yeah. all I'm thinking is, okay, I was kind of interested in watching that. I hadn't gotten to it yet, but I guess now I'll never yeah, see it. The net, the, they got the numbers and they can tell by the numbers, they think. They can tell how good the show is going to do. So based on getting this number now, we can project forward and know it's only going to do this well. And we need it to do better than that. So we're not going to spend millions of dollars. We're going to cancel it. Oh, but, wow. but that's business people doing yeah. the job, you know, not... So the best executives were the people who have the guts to kind of stay with stuff because, but if it doesn't go, then they're, they're screwed, you know? So 
Yeah, there, there aren't as many gamblers uh, out there as executives. They're not executive as many executives that uh, Jamie Tarsus was an amazing executive. She really kind of she just had guts. She had guts, and a lot of executives don't have. She was uh, first at ABC and then at NBC, or no, NBC. She She's who I signed my first deal with, so I knew her a long time. She passed right. away uh, last year, and she was amazing. Brandon Tartikoff was another. I did one. I did a pilot with Brandon Tartikoff. Really? That's a name yeah, I know. Yeah, he was amazing. I mean, he was hilarious. He was, he was, he and Jamie, they were just good with writers, you know? They just knew how to talk to writers. And uh, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon would like, while we were shooting, he would write little notes, little jokes on notes and fold them up and slip them to me. And I would read the joke. And sometimes they were really funny and sometimes they were terrible. And I'd be right. like, Brandon, I don't think this would go. <laughs> be like, okay, I'm just throwing stuff out there. He didn't have any ego in it. He's just having fun, trying to make it better. He was great. He was great. Uh, same with me. Yeah, there, there are a few executives out there where you're like, whoa. But mostly, especially in the, lately, because of all the different streamers and everything, it's more businessy than ever uh, in bad. a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Everybody's worried about losing their jobs. Somebody's going to replace them immediately. Yeah. Well, yeah. I get it. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not nearly as bad in my world, but yeah, we still have like art producers, creative directors or whatever. You can tell on set that they are scared. I've had art, I've had art directors who will literally look at what we shot and just go, and you go, well, what do you think? okay are we good with this do you i mean they're literally afraid to make a decision so i have to go i think we're really good on this one and then they go well what else can we what how else can we modify it what else can we do and then you'll do like five six different things and they go okay what else and then i have to go i think we got it i don't think there's anything else we can do to this we have killed it in every possible way and then they okay because they're so afraid that they're gonna not get it right and lose their job I think that's the biggest job as a producer is convincing the, the executives that it's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah. Conv- this is really, really funny. I, this is a great episode. I'm telling you. Uh, and for them, that. okay, is, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure that's funny. Yeah. Oh, you don't yeah. in the edit room. We're going to be all right. <laughs> All right, so we're coming up on about an hour. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I want to know what would be, since you started, what's the most interesting, strangest, coolest, what's your best story of something that's happened to you that you're like, I can't believe this thing happened? On set? Or- yeah, or just in general. I was on the set or in a meeting or like I have one where uh, like... I was shooting down in Miami and my assistants got down there before me and I meet them for dinner that night and they go, thanks for the welcoming present, dude. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, as soon as we got here, we got in a room, we got set and all of a sudden our door burst open. There's this chick naked come bouncing through the door. Like, hi guys. And then he said, and all of a sudden their boyfriend comes and grabs her and goes, sorry, she was just trashed. But he was there like, thanks for sending oh, that our way. And I was like, <laughs> I love that. I guess. I, the first thing that came to mind for me was I was pitching um, a show, a movie. We were pitching a movie to an executive and all of a sudden this blood started to come out of her nose. And, and, and we, and I was like, and then more and more, and I, we were like, um, your nose. And she was like, Oh, Oh yeah. And she's like, now blood is really gushing. And she's like holding her head back. And we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait until she goes like, no, keep going, keep going. So we kept pitching to this woman as blood is just coming out of her nose. And that was, that was weird. And they bought it. They bought it. <laughs> Maybe they felt like they kind of had to since they put you through the trauma of the exact with the nosebleed. I don't know. She acted like it was just normal. It was weird. It was so bizarre. But that was pretty funny. Okay, was she doing um, coke? Is that why she had her nosebleed? I yeah, probably. 
Uh, I actually had I a friend's know. girlfriend ask that about me. I'd had a deviated septum and had it operated on. And then we went to the beach and my friend and his girlfriend came along, my girlfriend, and they went to the grocery store and I'm standing outside and it's bothered, my nose is bothering me. And I went, oh man, all of a sudden it starts bleeding. And she's like, so she, he tells me later, like an hour later that night, she's like, she wanted to know if you've been snorting Coke and that's why you're having nosebleed. <laughs> I was like, no, not so. <laughs> so I haven't been doing Coke, yeah. just had a nosebleed. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that, and then I have crazy drug stories, uh, that are just, you know, you all right, well, give me one. Uh, okay. One of them was I was working on, uh, it was a job, one of my first jobs in LA before I got anything else where I was, I, you know, and I was working as a driver. I was a handler for MTV for the MTV music awards. And my job was to drive around this Brazilian rock band uh, for. The band? I don't know. I'd ha I could find it. They okay. had won. You know how the MTV Music Awards? There were people who'd win. You know, in South America, best oh, band. Oh yeah, in yeah, yeah. So somebody you never heard of, kind of thing, ever in the U.S. So right. they won that. They were huge in Brazil. And so I took them around, took them shopping, buying stuff. And I was drinking and using at the time, but I didn't when I was driving because I didn't want to kill anybody. <laughs> and, uh, and so at the end, they knew that. They knew that I, I wasn't going to drink or, or use and, and while I'm driving. And so at the very end, when it was that week, at the end of that week was the MTV Music Awards. And they told my boss that they wanted me to come as their guest. And so I didn't have to drive. They wanted me to ride in the limo with them because we all got along at this point. And my boss was pissed off. And she was like, okay. And uh, so I rode, I went up to knock on the door of the lead singer for the thing. And he had a pink rock. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, this is real cocaine. This is cocaine. Brazil. <laughs> and I was out of my mind by the time we got there and I'm sitting in a chair at the awards and they were, they were backstage and my boss comes up to me and she goes, John, are you doing anything right now? And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> and she, I want you to grab this tape. This is when there was videotape and stand over there. Somebody's going to come grab it from me. So I'm backstage out of my mind, holding this videotape and all of a sudden Aerosmith, the whole band comes backstage and I was out of I just was like oh my god and I knelt down on one knee in front of Steven Tyler and he <laughs> came up and like tapped me on the shoulder like rise rise it's okay. <laughs> and it was just like oh my god it was the best experience uh yeah it was so great that's incredible awesome. oh, it was awesome damn. yeah <laughs> dude I don't think you were alone my cousin was um he's the original cowboy from the village people and we were oh yeah we were talking about Whoa. award shows and he was like nobody there remembers getting their award he said that everybody's so yeah. high and so fucked yeah. up that nobody remembers getting yeah. the award on those yeah. <laughs> music awards yeah yeah i met kurt cobain at that thing too and i was a nirvana fan but you know it was still early on and i didn't you know but seeing uh seeing Aerosmith I was just like yeah. fuck Dude, that's that's very cool very <laughs> cool holy shit did you hear about the kid who's suing Nirvana well I guess he's not yeah. suing Nirvana but he's suing for his baby photo yes all right dude you must I think basically what he did was just telegraph to the entire world he has no money uh -huh. yeah. yeah because and I mean come on you're doing that no money and an idiot and yeah. now everybody knows who the baby is. Yeah, because evidently he's got like never mind tattooed on his chest, and he's done all kinds of shit to kind of promote the fact that he was the baby. And then now he's kind of like, oh, I got screwed. I'm sure it was kind of like, shit, I'm in debt. I need, you know, whatever. I need cash. So let's try and sue somebody. But dude, to be backstage and have Aerosmith come by and oh, rise, was, they were like gods. They were like they walked in like gods. I saw some other people. I can't remember who else I saw. I, I was out of my gourd. Were they sober that, at that time? I can't remember. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Is it possible? They didn't. I mean, who knows? Who uh, knows? I don't it know. might be. I can't remember when they said they got sober. 
I just remember saying yeah. like millions of dollars went up their nose. I remember that. Yeah. Steven Tyler. Yeah. He's, and he's pretty open about his, his sobriety too, which is really cool. Yeah. And dude, yeah. the fact that he impresses me, not only because of that, but because of the fact that what is he 70 something years old or whatever it is. And he still can sing at about that same level where, I mean, you got like Motley Crue, Vince Neil's up there out of breath and he's not singing shit. He is literally just speaking every line from the song. And I'm just like, why would I pay to go see that? But oh, Aerosmith, yeah. I would pay to go see Aerosmith because Steven Tyler still sings it like he was singing it when he was so younger. I know. Yeah. I know. Walk this way. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. John, this is cool, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. It was really fun. Anytime. <laughs>